0: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would take each part of this service and that you would use it to your glory. Lord, I am so thankful that we can praise you and your goodness for desiring to save our souls. And that when we come to you according to your word, you do save us forever. Lord, we're thankful for your great love. And Lord, we ask now that you would let us return a little of that love to you in our singing, in the preaching, and in the invitation. That there would be not one of us here that would withhold from you what is your due. That is our heart, our life, and our direction. We ask that as we walk through this week, that our lives would be lived in worship to the God of heaven, the God of this book called the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. And just before the message this morning, we're going to have a special in song by Mr. and Mrs. Remigio. Amen. This is their first Sunday as a married couple back here at their home church. And uh, we're glad. And tonight's going to be a special service. And we want to make sure that everybody comes and has a part in that. Especially if you weren't able to go to Kentucky and enjoy the wedding, you'll come. And even if you were, you'll still enjoy tonight. And so let's uh, let them sing and prepare your hearts for the message. And if you've got a bulletin this morning, the title of of this morning's sermon is, uh, went very far to find it, just called the Bible. Amen. Uh, We want to and need to every once in a while just take uh, some time, some very serious time. We call this our worship service. And the word worship just simply means to bow down, to uh, be prostrate, to fall on your face. That's why many religions still Uh, Practice those things today, and it does not hurt for you to get down on your knees before a holy God, to humble yourself. We are dealing with the most weighty subject on earth, and that is about God. I don't know how many of you have ever grabbed a hold of something really heavy. Uh, I remember in recent history, we were uh, moving uh, some uh, footers is what they're called. It's just a 350-pound block of concrete. Now, if you've never lifted anything, you see them great big uh, Am I allowed to use the word fat? Well, I just did, all right? And great big fat guys lifting all that weight, 6 and 800 pounds. And, but let me tell you something. If you got a hold of that piece of concrete, uh, you couldn't move it. In fact, we had to get a little crane and, and some wheels and some other things so that we could uh, transport those things from the front uh, sidewalk where they were delivered back into the kitchen, uh, where they were installed under the floor to hold the baptistry up. And um, the driver looked. It was uh, Stephen and uh, Brother Newberger and I. And he said, who's moving that? And Stephen looked at him and said, we are. And the driver just laughed and got back in the truck and got out of there. He said, I'm having no part of this. And uh, we moved them very safely. But when you grab a hold of something heavy... What does it do? It pulls you toward it. It doesn't move. You do. That's what we want to have happen in church. As we get a hold of God. We want Him to move us. Because there's nothing wrong with God. Amen? He is not the problem. If there's any problems, who has them? Everybody hold up a mirror. Me. We are the problem. And if we'll grab a hold, God will pull us toward him. Of course, you're going to go down a little bit. In fact, you're going to go down a lot a bit. Because God resisteth the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Now, when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about God's words. The very words that God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai nearly 4,000 years ago are recorded in this book. The words that God spoke to Adam in the garden 6,000 years ago are recorded in this book. And by the way, there is no such thing as a prehistoric world in the Bible. Because Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens And the earth say, well, what do you do with all of the facts of evolution? Uh, About the same thing I do with all the facts of political talk. How many have ever heard a fact come from a politician's mouth? Please meet me after church. I would like to hear one. You know, there's an awful lot that goes for truth. It isn't. And the question I always like to ask, okay, you believe in the Big Bang. Where did the matter come from that allowed the Big Bang to happen? It was just there. Well, nobody knows. Well, well, in order for mankind to comprehend anything, you've got to come, and we're going to have to think real hard to get through the introduction here, but I, I, I hope it'll get better. You've got to believe in the eternal existence of something. I believe in the eternal existence of God. Science, the best they have to offer is the eternal existence of matter. I say matter doesn't matter without God. Amen. I believe in the Big Bang. God said, let there be light. Bang! There was light. Amen. You see, you're making fun of that. Yeah, I am. Anybody believes they came from a monkey deserves to be made fun of. Amen. Am I in the wrong place? I was created in the image of God. I'm different than all other life forms. But I have a responsibility to the creator. That's what this book called the Bible tells me. You see... What do you know about God that wasn't written down, that is not written down in your Bible? You've answered the question. All we know about God, anything that can be known about God is written down in this book called the Bible. That's what makes the Bible so important. If we read the book of Romans, it tells us that we can know God exists by looking at the universe in which we live. Mankind has just, in the last few years, he believes, he's not sure yet, but we're kind of certain that we have measured the expanse of the universe, how wide it is. They claim that the universe is 13.5, and I'm going to remember, I can't remember whether it's a million or a billion light years across. I think it's a million. That means the amount of distance that light can travel in 13 and a half million years. Now you figure it out, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Yeah, if you can figure out how many seconds there are in 13 and a half million years and multiply that together and still have something left, uh, you can figure out that's about how wide man figures out the universe is. And nobody but Star Trek has found life on another planet. I want to challenge you that only God could waste the expanse of a universe to put one little planet somewhere in that vast nothingness and put us on it. Now, you have to think a little bit. Because there's not enough matter in the universe for life to have gotten on earth by chance. The guy did the math. He added up the cosmic mass of the entire universe and multiplied it, and did statistical analysis, and it takes a whole page just to record the zeros. There is not enough matter to combine, and there is not enough time, even in the five billion years that the evolutionist claims we have as history, for one living organism to occur by chance. But God said, let us create man, in our own image. After our own likeness. By the way, it's plural in the Hebrew as well as it is in English. Who was God speaking with? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple. You see, it's all in the Bible. Now, don't be one of those people that come and say, "Well, pastor, that's your interpretation because I will answer you. It's not my interpretation. This is not the first church that believes what we believe, but we do not exist uh I mean." Not but. We do not exist in a vacuum. We're not our own organization. But on the other hand, we do not believe and teach the things that we do at this church just because we got a book from headquarters that said, well, actually, we did get a book from headquarters. I'm sorry. Uh, we didn't get a book from some place here on earth. All right. Uh, Some group of men didn't sit down and say, this is what we believe the Bible teaches, and if you want to be a part of our group, you have to agree and sign your name on a piece of paper. We fellowship with a group of independent churches that believe the same thing because we just read the Bible for what it says. Now, somebody may say, but that's a complicated thing. Well... That's what the pastor's job is, is to help you understand what the Bible says. But if you can't go home and find what I'm teaching in the Bible for yourself, you better check out what I've been teaching. Amen. I mean, uh, I should know the Bible as well or better than any person in the church. That's It's been my life. It would be sad if I were a preacher of the Bible over 25 years and in Bible college before that, and I didn't know what the Bible said. That would be pretty pathetic now, wouldn't it? It takes time to get into this book. But this book does not contain God's Word. It is. God's words. You say, why do you make such a big deal about that? Well, unfortunately, the Bible college I went to was changing. And I had a professor, he got fired the year I graduated for good reason. He was trying to teach us students that the Bible contained the word of God and you had to go to scholars and all these books and everything and sort through everything, trying to find which words were God's and which ones were put there by somebody else. And I got very concerned as a young man. I said, I'm studying to be a preacher. And if I'm going to stand in a pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord, I'd better know that God said those words or I'm going to be lying to the people. I'm glad that I can stand here today and tell you that I hold in my hand a copy of the very words of God in the English language. Somebody said, why do you use the King James Bible? It's kind of hard to read. Uh, I use the King James Bible, the old King James, by the way, not the new one. And by the way, King James had nothing to do with the translation other than having his name put on it. He was the king at that time. Uh, They took credit for everything. And it was best that you let them do so if you wanted to live very long in the kingdom. Um, But I, I would just like to give you 30 seconds or two minutes of history here. No other group of people have invested more time and more effort into translating the Bible into their own language, and the language of others, by the way, than English-speaking peoples. It's an amazing study. This book took seven years to translate. A total of 56 men worked for seven years. Years on the manuscripts of this Bible. There is not another Bible in any other language that has that much effort put into it. We don't worship the Bible, the leather, but I want to tell you that you have a reliable and honest translation of God's Word in English that is vastly superior. And by the way, these 56 men, two of which died in the midst of the translation, did not build upon their own foundation, but had a foundation of 200 years of history, uh, of major efforts of translating the Bible into English before they did their work. And so it was a crowning achievement. In fact, even, uh, I think it's McNeil Lair, uh, no friend of Bible Christianity has said the crowning achievement of the English language was the translation of the King James Bible into English. The rest of the quote goes on to say, while Shakespeare literally ransacked the thesaurus of the English language, these men took 8,000 unique words and translated the most beautiful book that was ever put into English. That's not my quote. That's not even another preacher's quote. But I want you to understand something. None of that translation work would make any difference at all if what most scholars say are true. That the true text of the Bible was lost and it's the scholars that have to find it. That would make you and I Or anyone who wants to come and find God's word, the servant of the scholars. Now, that's pretty good if you're a scholar, amen? But history does not agree with them. Truth does not agree with them. And by the way, they were just doing what some churches and in our modern day, a myriad of cultic groups have tried to do. Saying that only by coming to us or reading our books or taking our teaching can you understand the word of God. I am so glad that I can stand here today in the, in the pulpit of Open Door Bible Baptist Church and hold this book in my hand and say, If you want to be what we are, take this book home and read it for yourself. And we'll help you if you need some help finding what parts to read and be there to assist with the big words and all of those things. But if you come to a simple, honest, and literal understanding of what's in this book, then you can get saved. Amen? And once you get saved, by the way, salvation isn't in the church. It's in Jesus. You got to get salvation settled before you can become a member of the church. Most churches do it the other way around now, don't they? You come to our church, you do what you say, we say, you listen to us, and you live your whole life in agreement with what we say under our direction, and maybe you'll be good enough to get into heaven. That's not what the Bible says. You get your eternal security straight first. And church is the place where we enjoy the trip. Amen? It's where we serve Him together until we get there. Now, I want us to look at a few places. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Because the greatest issue when we deal with the Word of God, we have an honest translation We have an honest copy of the very words of God in our own language. It has been preserved down through the ages. There is no need for the scholars. There is no need for the church. There's a need for the Bible. But the greatest problem we face is deception. And there's a cure for deception. In fact one of the most often asked questions when people come in is they'll say, "Uh, what kind of cult is this church? Because they've learned that word means some little group of people who believe weird. I guess that fits us, right? And we say, no, we're not a cult. Because see... You don't go to a person to find out what the Bible says. You go to the Bible to find out what the Bible says. That's your protection. That's how you can know that I'm not some loony tune. Well, we won't go any further on that. Um, People, I I actually had people say, well-meaning people, pastor is crazy all they call you. No, of course not. But I'll tell you what, if this is crazy, I'll take some more. Amen. Because I've got peace. I've got confidence in God's word. And it's easy for me to see the deception that is in our world. Because I know the word of God. And I would like you to have that same protection. That's why God gave us a book called the Bible. He gave it to us to read it, for it to protect us. And sometimes God has to protect you from yourself. And so let's start reading here in Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 11. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. This is talking about the history of the people of Israel. For the word of God is quick, old English word for living, alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. ...and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God... Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This book called the Bible, it says, is sharper than any two edged sword. That it can cut the line between the soul and the spirit. That it is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. James put it this way. This book is the mirror. And we can look into it and what should we see? Our sin. And when we see our sin, if we will be a wise Looker, we will go to God and ask Him to take care of that sin. But how many people pray to God asking Him for salvation because they are in a difficult time of life? How many people will go to God and pray and do all kinds of things because they've lost their job? Or because they have need of something, or because uh, uh, they are, um, well, uh, Brother Franz, how long did you pray before God brought Miss Sonia into your life? A long time. But let me tell you something. He wasn't coming to God just because he wanted a wife. He was coming to God because he is God. You see, God is not there to meet your needs. He's a little bigger than that. He is there to bring you face to face with who and what you really are so that you can understand these things. Say, but pastor, that's depressing. Well, that's okay. Because not only will he show you what and who you really are, he'll fix it. He'll change you. I love to say this. I hope you never tire of hearing it. God loves you enough to save you just the way... You are. You cannot clean yourself up. You cannot change things and make yourself pleasing to God. God's love will save you just right where you are. No matter how wicked you are, God will save you. But His love is so great, He's not going to let you stay that way. He's not going to allow you to continue in those things that have destroyed you. He's going to change you. How many of you have ever been really mistaken about something or someone? I mean, really wrong. I mean, really deceived that you just literally, when you found out the truth, it just, whoa, wait a minute. How could I be so wrong? Has anybody else ever done that? I see some heads going up and down. Well, that's what the Bible is about, my friend. It is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. It will show you that no matter how much you say you want what is right, until you surrender to God, you cannot even understand what that means. When we as human beings want something, it's always got strings attached now, doesn't it? I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. Or, I'll do this for you, but someday I'm going to come knocking at your door and I'm going to call in my favor. How many of us know people like that? That's a scary thing, isn't it? Because they always want more than what we gave. They always want more in return than what they gave, is what I meant to say. But here's what the Bible says. The word of God pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It will show you what is true and what isn't true. There is no creature that can skip the examination of the light of God's Word. Oftentimes when we do medical tests, we do blood tests, we do CAT scans and PET scans and MRIs and all of these different things that we do. And we still miss it, now don't we? We still miss Certain diseases, and they 're not found until it's too late, that's just mankind. You put yourself under the examining light of god 's word, and he doesn't miss anything. I can't tell you how many people I've met over the years to say, Pastor, I know what you're saying is true. I, I know the Bible is right, I know I'm wrong. But there's just something missing in my heart. I'm really not ready to get saved all the way. I I don't know what's going on. I I just can't surrender to God. And the answer is simply this. Put yourself under God's word. You got to read it you got to come to church for the preaching. Not because I'm the greatest preacher in the world. No, I preach the greatest book. And if you live in a story, if you live close enough to come, you're going to get it every time you come right between the eyes because that's what you need, that's what I need. Because we've constantly got to keep ourselves in check. We can allow our hearts to want things that are not right. And we can get ourselves turned around. If it happened to Solomon in our Sunday school time, let me tell you, it can happen to you. You've got to keep yourself under the Word of God. Because we have an high priest. His name is Jesus Christ, the Righteous. He was tempted in every way that a human being can be tempted. He's yet without sin because he is God. It says we can come boldly in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Now don't misunderstand the word boldly. It doesn't mean like you hear on the television preacher walk up to God. I want a brand new Cadillac. I heard a preacher say that one time. That's ridiculous. God doesn't care what you want, He's already done everything possible to solve your greatest need. That is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for every sin that you've ever sinned. What more? could you ask of God then the forgiveness of your sins, my friend? You couldn't buy the forgiveness of one sin if you owned every car that was ever produced in the history of mankind. And yet, if you'll come before God according to the Word of God, that's what the word boldly means. I have a right to come into the presence of the God of heaven. It says, Boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Can I I remind you what mercy is again? Mercy is that which the defeated receives at the hand of the victor. When you have a contest on the field of battle and one wins the day, you usually have the loser laying on the ground in ancient times with the sword or the weapon of the victor held in a position to inflict sudden and instant death. The victor may then have mercy on you. But what happens if the loser gets up off the ground and says, I'm going to fight again? Uh, It's called death. But if you will accept God's mercy... If you will surrender to His terms, He will save your soul forever. But the human heart cannot even want what God's Word has for it until you've put yourself under the Word of God. You've got to read. You've got to let God's Word convict you of your sin. And of your weakness, of your misunderstanding of God, not of His, quote-unquote, misunderstanding of you. It doesn't work that way. God does understand you. He understands everything about you. He knows your every need. He knows the number of hairs upon your head, even when there was hair there. Amen? God knows all about those things. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to insult here. Just a little humor today. God knows all those things. And if we'll come to him, he will save us. Turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing to a young man, Timothy, here. And in verse 15, Paul says to him, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you get what Paul is saying? He says, Timothy, from a little child, you've known the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. Now, what Scriptures was Paul talking about? It wasn't what we call the New Testament, because Timothy is part of the New Testament. It was the Old Testament. The part of the Bible that when we get there in our Bible reading schedule, oh, no, I got to read Leviticus. Let me tell you something. Leviticus is a pivotal book in the Bible. But you have to understand what it's talking about for it to make any sense. You need this whole book. Peter put it this way. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star, which is Jesus Christ, arise in your hearts. Would you take a moment today, if you're saved, and remember that process? that God used to reveal His Word. And as you began to be faced with your own sin and your failures and your shortcomings, the, the anguish that developed in your soul as you realized you could not save yourself and that if you were to die today, you would miss heaven in all its glory. And finally, that truth drove you to a place. where you surrendered at the foot of the throne of grace and said, God, I surrender my life, my work, everything I am to you. The publican said it this way, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what that publican did when he said those few words? He admitted his sinfulness to God. He admitted that he couldn't do anything about it. He did not know the story of Jesus yet, for Jesus was telling us the story. But when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he took care of all sin for all time. And that all I have to do is believe that he died for me, and my sins. He rose again the third day. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Not to me. You confess to God, because He is the one who saves. Amen. Now I want you to go on. If you're still there in Second Timothy, just one more verse and we'll be done. Two more, actually, the last two in the chapter. All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God did not just save you so that you could be saved. He saved you so that your life could be a testimony of his goodness and his grace. He saved you so that in the ages to come, Ephesians chapter 2, he could show the riches of his glory and the greatness of his love wherewith he has loved us. The world is seeking for profit, is it not? It's not finding it in any of the normal places today. I'll tell you where you can always find profit, and mankind has always found profit. God knows no depression. God knows no weakness in his economy. If you want profit... Get into this book called the Bible. It will give you doctrine. A couple weeks ago, we went over the lesson. And we spent actually two or three Sunday mornings on the, on the verse that Jesus said, if a man shall save his life, he's going to lose it. But if he'll lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. We have people giving their lives to all kinds of things today, do we not? We have people wasting their life's blood on Wall Street and investing in all of those things. And no, they're not jumping out of windows like they did in the 1920s, but how many of them die young because of all the stress that they've put themselves under just so they can make those huge amounts of money? How many people give their lives so they can work a job and climb the ladder and get to that position that they so desperately covet? How much money do people spend to get elected to office that pays one-tenth of what they spent to get into the office? Does that make any sense to anybody? It tells me one thing for sure. There's an awful lot of remuneration going on that isn't coming in the paycheck. Here, you can have real and true profit. Doctrine, what you believe. Period if you're willing to compromise it, it's not a doctrine. The word doctrine is a word that means how your living is determined. You see, we have many things we say we believe, but when the pressure comes, we change them. That's not doctrine. If you want real Bible doctrine... It's what I believe, no matter what. Doctrine, God's doctrine, is profitable for your life. Not meaning to pick on Brother Franz and Miss Sonia, but they're a living example of doctrine. They ordered their lives together when they were dating and things so they could obey the doctrine that is in the Bible. And I think tonight they'll show you how sweet it is when you just follow the word of God. Amen. Amen. I was expecting to hear Brother Franz and Miss Sonia above everybody else. Let me tell you something, it only gets better as you obey. Remember when we first got married, Brother Clayton's son came to me and said, Ah, Pete, you don't even know what love is. Wait till you've been married 10 years. Well, I waited 10 years and I found Phil and we were talking. I said, Phil, you know something? The Lord brought that back to my mind. I said, You were right. 10 years, I didn't know what love was the day we got married, but it's sure wonderful. More wonderful. He says, Wait till you've been 25. That happens next fall. And he'll probably tell me, Wait till you've been 50. Uh, I'll tell you what, it just keeps getting better and better. God's way is the best way. It's profitable for reproof. God will tell you what's wrong. But I, I really get frustrated when somebody just wants to tell me what's wrong and not how to make it right. That's why the next one is it's profitable for correction. God will not only tell you what's wrong, He'll tell you how to fix it. And then He'll give you instruction in righteousness how you can keep it on the right trail, how you can alter your life so you don't have to be on the treadmill or in the rat race or whatever euphemism you want to do. Swimming with the sharks, my friend, is not smart unless you want to be shark snacks. You got to get out of that And serve the Lord. That's why you have to have this book. If you're here today and you say, well, I understand that, but there's just something missing, let me challenge you. Get under this book called the Bible and God's Word will bring you to that point. It doesn't have to take a long time, but God's Word will discern and show you and bring you to the point to where you will be able to honestly and truly understand your own sin and God's holiness and ask Him to save you. If you're saved here today, are you turning a prophet? Is God's word working in your life? You say, how can I know whether God's word is working in my life? That's real simple. you got to get in the book enough to know what it says. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Are you waning in your strength? Well, then you need more profit because of the word of God. It's that simple. You say, I just can't get the victory over, fill in the blank." is profitable, get into the Word of God. You don't win the battle with sin by fighting sin. You win the battle against sin by getting close to Jesus. And you get close to Jesus by reading His Word, by sitting under the preaching of His Word, by being with other people who do that. That's what church is about. Two questions. Are you saved? If you're not, you can get saved today. If you are saved, are you turning a prophet? Are you increasing in your relationship with God? God wants you to. That's what his word is all about. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning... Lord, once again we pray, because we cannot change hearts, we cannot convict people of of who and what they are, we cannot show them their sin without them believing your word. Now, Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to touch hearts Lord, my first prayer is for those that are with us today that do not know you as their Savior, that they would be willing to come to the throne of mercy and surrender. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, to just trust Jesus as their Savior. Lord, we pray if there be one here today that understands the fact that they are not saved, but they know in their heart that it would just be saying empty words. There's there's still that work that's missing. We pray that they would surrender to your word and that they would place themselves under it till they do gain the discernment, or as Paul told Timothy, the wisdom to trust Jesus and to be saved. Lord, we pray for those that are just struggling with life. that they would understand that your word is profitable for every part of our life. And if we're going to have a profit in this world, it's got to be because of the work of your word in our hearts and in our souls. We ask you to be glorified in the time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and Brother Franz, come and lead us.